did anyone else feel kind of lost when they finished school? Whether it was uni or high school, it just ended so abruptly. There was so much structure and then there was nothing. Like one minute, I was watching Nathan Shaw throw a backpack out of a second story English classroom window and the teacher was going off at him. And then next minute, Nathan could do that if he wanted to. He was graduated. In the first, say, like 20 years of our life, there is so much structure. There's structure in a system that someone else set for us. And then when you graduate, suddenly you're not in someone else's structure anymore. You have to set your own structure and build your own system. But why would you know how to do that? Because you've never been told how to do that. And personally, I found that all of this led me to feeling a little bit lost. It's like everyone was asking me, what do you want to be? What I really wanted to be was in the park drinking watermelon cruises with my friends. Maybe you don't feel this way. I mean, I have a friend who told me when I was a kid that they wanted to be a dentist and now they're a dentist. But I have a sneaking suspicion that this isn't most people. So today on Wait You What, I want to share three philosophies to help you in life after school or after any major event or new beginning that I wish someone had told me. The three theories I'm going to talk to you about today are number one, the infinite game. Number two, how your desire for recognition makes you unfree. And number three, how trust is like a marble jar. Also, a quick disclaimer here that this is just what I found helpful for me. It might not be for everyone. I'm not an expert. I'm just someone who's read some books. And I also recognize that finishing school and getting to choose what you want to do is a privileged position because not everyone has that luxury. But let's go. Number one, the infinite game. I was on Instagram the other day, scrolling along, as I do a lot these days, and I saw a friend post about an amazing career success that she'd experienced. And I had two feelings at once. Number one, hell yeah. Go, my friend. She's incredible. I'm so proud of and happy for her. Number two, why haven't I done that? I'm not doing good enough. Yeah, like... Come on, I don't want to compare myself to my friend or anyone, but there's this little voice in my head that says, if my friend is winning, then by that logic, I'm losing. And then if I'm losing, I may as well just give up. If this resonates with you at all, or if you tend to compare yourself at all to anyone else, then this theory is for you. It's called The Infinite Mindset, and it was recently explored by Simon Sinek in his book, The Infinite Game. I'll put the link for this book in the description. The core of this philosophy is that as a person or as a company, you should think of yourself as a player in an infinite game. In the book, he says that in the infinite game, the players come and go, the rules are changeable, and there's no defined endpoint. There are no winners or losers in an infinite game. There's only ahead and behind. Yep, that's life. He says that in the infinite game, you're not looking for quick wins. You don't burn yourself out hustling for five days in a row without sleep. You calmly and conscientiously go about your days. You're in it for the long haul. Successful people like Steve Jobs are notorious for having infinite mindsets. That's what he calls them. Infinite mindsets like this. So here are some ways that thinking like this can benefit your life. Firstly, personal growth becomes the focus. In the infinite game, when you're not busy scrapping at people you see as competitors, you can naturally focus on yourself more. 
There's this cool anecdote in The Infinite Game that demonstrates this about Apple versus Microsoft in the early 2000s. Apple's iPod was storming the market. Everyone was going crazy for the little scrolly bar and, you know, downloading MP3s. You could put them in your pocket. It was all the rage. And Microsoft was obsessed with trying to beat the iPod. They wanted to be better than Apple at MP3s. So they worked and they worked. And finally, they released a pretty good product called, wait for it, the Zune. (laughs) Yeah, never heard of it. Just after Microsoft released the Zune, Apple came out with the iPhone. Baller. The moral of the story is that while Microsoft was busy trying to compete with Apple, Apple was busy trying to compete with Apple. They wanted to beat themselves. They were thinking like visionaries. Microsoft were thinking like competitors. And once you start thinking like Apple in this example, you can stop comparing yourself to others and start comparing yourself to yourself. Just focus on your next steps. I'm not saying become a evil global corporation. I wouldn't recommend that. But there is something in that story that we can take away. The next way thinking infinitely can help you is that there's less focus on failure. When you think of your life as a continuous story, failure just becomes a little hitch along the way. It doesn't take you out and knock you for six like it used to. You'll bounce back easier and it's not the end it or crash that you thought it was before. This is something I really wish I knew when I finished school because all those little setbacks in the beginning, like maybe you don't get the job that you want to, or you try something new and it's kind of embarrassing because it doesn't go well. I wish I could tell past me that it doesn't really matter because in the continuous story that is your life, what is this? All that really matters is that you keep trying. The next way that thinking with an infinite mindset can help you is that it'll help you find long-term motivation that lasts. In the book, Simon says, put your hands on your head. No, no, no. He, he says, a finite game is played for the purpose of winning. An infinite game is played for the purpose of continuing the play. I found that when I had short-term goals um, that were measured next to other people, I always felt empty when I hit the goal and I lost momentum and motivation. Weird how that happens, huh? But when you learn to value the process rather than the goal itself, you put less pressure on the goal and more fun on the process. I know this is easier said than done, and I'm still trying to learn how to do it. It's hard, but it's good to keep in mind anyway. Theory number two. Your desire for recognition makes you unfree. This theory is from a book called The Courage to Be Disliked. It's a pretty clickbaity title for a philosophy book that was based on some pretty old philosopher named Alfred Adler. In one particular section of the book, the authors talk about how, while it's easy to live life according to others' expectations, what takes real courage is striving to live a life according to your own expectations. See, the thing is that the people who love you the most in this world will also be the people who expect the most from you, because they care about you, and that's often their way of caring. Your parents might want you to get a stable job, have a family, buy a house. Your English teacher might want you to stop throwing backpacks out of the second story window of your classroom and if you did these things they would probably give you recognition and praise because they'd be proud of you but when you live in desire for recognition from other people you trap yourself inside of their expectations in this book the authors say and i quote it's easier to live in such a way as to satisfy others expectations because one is entrusting one's own life to them for example one runs along the tracks that one's parents have laid out 
Even if there are a lot of things one might object to, one will not lose one's way as long as one stays on those rails. But if one is deciding one's path for oneself, it's only natural that one will get lost at times. One comes up against the wall of how should one live, end quote. So you can either live the life that others expect of you, which is fine if it's also the life that you want for yourself, or you can try to lay your own train tracks, which won't be easy, but it will be worth it. Knowing this when I graduated would have helped me a lot. I beat myself up for feeling lost. I thought, what does this mean? I wish that what I had done was label the feeling for what it was, a sign of fighting to live a life that you're truly aligned with, not one that others want for you. This is just one of the many really great philosophies in The Courage to be Disliked. I recommend reading it. I'll put the link for it in my show notes. Theory number three, how trust is like a marble jar. Sometimes people mess you over in life, in love, friendships, business, in any kind of human relationship. And in these situations, often the reason we get hurt is because we trusted that person not to hurt us. I've trusted people in the past who I probably shouldn't have trusted because I probably could have guessed that they weren't safe to trust. But what could have prevented this was if I had an understanding of how to choose who to trust. People newly entering the world after they graduate, where there's not much structure, there's a lot of new people, could really benefit from hearing this theory. It's basically about how trust is built slowly over time and in small moments. It's from Brene Brown, who, yes, we worship. If you don't know who she is, go watch her TED Talks. With this theory, she talks about how trust is like a marble jar in her book, Dare to Lead. She says that when you're building a relationship with someone, you should start with an empty jar. An imaginary jar, just to be clear, but I mean, you could use a real one. For everything that someone does that makes you feel safe to trust them, you put a marble in the jar. Say that you told them a secret and they didn't tell anyone. Marble in the jar. They told you they appreciated something about you. Marble in the jar. They promised to come to your your Harry Potter-themed improv night and then they actually showed up. Big marble in the jar for that one. Maybe two. And when that person's jar is full, then they're a trustworthy person. You can feel safe with them. But... Here's the thing. It works the other way too. So if they keep doing things that make you uh, feel like you can't trust them, you take a marble out of the jar. Say they told someone something you asked them to keep private. That's a marble. You take it out of the jar. Or they cheated on you in a romantic relationship. That might be 10 marbles. And for those people who you have to keep taking marbles out of the jar for, or they don't get any to begin with, they're the kinds of people that maybe you should be wary about trusting. So those are the three philosophies that I wish I knew when I finished school, but they're helpful at any stage of life and after any major event or in any new beginning. I hope that they resonated with you in some way. You can leave a review and let me know if they did or send this episode to someone who you think could use them. I'll leave all the details in the show notes and thank you for listening. I'll see you uh, next week on Where You What. Bye.